Hi everyone and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee podcast, kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and Fix This Next free online business assessment, enabling you to pinpoint what your business needs you to fix next. Business tips to help you level up and scale up. everyone it's Simon here from Sterling Coaching and welcome to this podcast episode in which I'm joined by Andrew Gibson. Now Andrew and I uh, were introduced through BNI Business Networking International and also a fellow podcast guest Tommy Moore as, as well and welcome to today's podcast Andrew. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Thank you very much Simon uh, it's lovely to be here and uh I'm based in Leeds. I'm a coach and consultant. I've been working as a coach for about 15 years, mainly in the charity sector and also helping people start businesses. Uh, like you, I'm in BNI, so I get to meet lots and lots of people starting new businesses and lots of charities and community companies through that. Um, and I'm really enjoying, hopefully, making a difference with people who don't have a lot of money to their, to their names. Yeah. And, and that's interesting. It's interesting you say that, Andrew, as well, because you know, when people talk about nonprofits or charities or, uh, and organizations like that, from a coaching point of view, and there, there very well may be some coaches and consultants listening to this, that's, a, that's an interesting sector. We, we would all love to work with charities and we all love to help good causes, but we know there's not much money in it. So why did you make that choice to go into that charity sector? Um, it, I'm not. Was, was it a choice? I honestly don't know. One, one of the things I always advocate with all the people I support and help is to try and find the thing that you love doing. Because if you're yep. doing something that you love doing, if you're happy to do something just for the sheer sake of it, then you will enjoy doing it every single day. And yep. for me, if you're doing it that way and you're making a difference, then the money will follow. So I kind of fell into working with charities I've always enjoyed helping people who are in the greatest need. Uh, maybe that's to do with my upbringing. I don't know. But um, helping a charity was one of the best, best things I ever did in my early days in BNI. Yeah. From that, I started asking for introductions to other charities. I got more introductions to other charities. And I found a way of helping those charities to realize that if they were making a difference for another agency and that agency had budget, there was a possible source of income there. And of course, I, like all coaches and consultants, if you're helping your clients to generate income, it's quite reasonable for you to be paid for your time from the income that's generated. You would hope so, wouldn't you? So, you know, there's a return on investment in my time. Yeah. And then the lovely thing is, within the charity sector, there are some amazing funders out there, foundations and, and, and grant funders and so on. So charities have the opportunity to apply for funds in the way that private businesses don't. And so, of course, okay. having got myself a reputation and a bit of a name, um, charities often do apply for funding or the funders yep. through various intermediaries will put people like me in to help charities. And I've found a way of, oh. of making a living through helping yeah. charities. So. Ah, great. Good. And what a good winning formula as well. You know, uh, many of the listeners perhaps wouldn't have thought about that different way and that return on investment with charities because... Nobody likes to talk about revenue and profit and ROI, do they, with charities? But yeah, they, they've got to bring in the money and pay for the, the cost of running the charity, haven't they? So, yeah, so it's a good point. Yeah, they do. And it, it is that thing. Charities are 
usually, and this is a bit of a stereotype, but usually they are really nice, caring, well-meaning people who want to help needy people. And their, their passion is for the thing that they're going to do to help the people they want to help. Yeah. Rarely do you get somebody coming into charity sector with a commercial approach where they're thinking about building a sustainable business. Um, mm -hmm. Often they'll build a business where they've got money coming in, but they'll spend all the money helping the people that they want to help. And they won't actually yeah. think of saving some back as a surplus for a rainy day or to invest in, you know, developing something new. Um, so I'm trying to bring a more commercial focus to charities. And, yeah. um, and the thing, as I say, I've unlocked is this idea of whoever you're helping, who else is helping them and what difference are you making for them? So easiest yeah. example, if you're working with kids in a school, for example, well, what difference are you making for the school? Because yeah. schools have budget to hit various outcomes that they need to deliver. And uh, if you're able to help the school hit those outcomes, maybe the school can allocate yeah. some budget or go and find some budget and see the charity as a service provider to them rather than just somebody who's helping the children. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. So moving on to the what we're drinking today or what we've been drinking throughout the day. <laughs> what, what are you drinking today, Andrew, and why? I'm drinking water and I'm, I, one of my few good habits is yep. to drink a lot of water. Um, okay. So I think I'm probably halfway through my third litre of water today. Wow. Now, you see, I, I, I always have to smirk a little bit when people say that amount of water because at, at the age that I am, I'm young, I'm 53, um, I do get to the point where a huge amount of water means a huge amount of time spent in, in the bathroom. Indeed. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, I have to pick and choose what, uh, how much I drink it at the times of day that I drink it. And it's a sad thing to say, but uh, that's the way it is. I, I know the feeling I am the same age as you. And yes, it does indeed involve regular trips to the bathroom. But um, I, I oh, a long time ago, I went on a holiday to Thailand and yeah. I, uh, we, were, we went trekking up in the forest in the north of Thailand. It was absolutely wonderful. And we were carrying three litres of water a day. We had to drink this water. And I remember drinking this water and then going on an extra excursion on the evening after we'd done our day's trekking yeah. and I didn't have any water with me and I got massively dehydrated. I have never had a headache like it in my life. Um, yeah. And since then, I've always thought, OK, there is this, there is something about staying hydrated. So and water is a wonderful drink. It, it's an amazingly wonderful drink when you think about it. And we we often adulterate it with all sorts of other stuff, which yeah uh sometimes you just don't need to just the water on its own can be lovely yeah it's interesting my my mum uh for a long while after she had a stroke hated drinking water uh, and we had a battle continuous battle to get her to drink water and it's interesting isn't it when you don't drink you actually suffer more infections more urine infections and that kind of thing um and she became paranoid about not drinking and not wanting to drink and She'd see me drink. She said, "How can you drink that full glass of water so readily?" Yeah, I actually love water, and I think it's the way we look at it, isn't it? If you actually enjoy the taste of water and see the benefits of the water to you, then you love drinking it. And it's a bit like you're saying about the charity. If you if you enjoy what you're doing, then you do more of it. And it's the same with drinking. If you enjoy drinking water, then you'll drink more of it. If you yeah. see it as a chore, if you see it as tasteless, yeah. flavorless, then you're not going to enjoy it, and you're not going to drink it, are you? Yeah. I'm and, you know, maybe it's a generational thing because my parents, God bless them, 
they never drank any water ever. No. It was, it was, you know, this never entered into the radar uh, no. to, to drink water. So I don't know, maybe it's a generational thing, but yeah, um, it I, it's one of my few um, healthy habits and I'm quite happy to maintain it. So. so when you're not drinking healthy water, what else do you drink? <laughs> well, like you, uh, like you in terms of age, I am a big lover of beer. Indeed, I okay. spent a long time in the brewing industry um, um, and I do like a beer. Um, but yeah, there is that thing now. Being being of that certain age, where too many beers means too many trips to the to, to the toilet. Yeah. So. Um, but no, well, when, it, like... when it comes to beer, I, I've always been ever since I was sixteen years old. Uh, if I drank two pints of anything, I was okay to two pints, whether it was pop or whatever it was later in alcohol. But as soon as I got to that second pint, every half pint after that was a toilet visit. Well. I, when I was a student in Glasgow, we had a, a, a pub crawl where there were the, the rule was actually based on trips to the toilet. Yeah. And, and so everybody would drink pints. But if you went to the toilet, when you came back, there was an extra half pint, which you had to drink before you moved on to the next pub. Really? And, and so as soon as you and that, started, would, that would just throw me completely it, off then. <laughs> it was completely cruel because, of course, everybody would hold it in and hold it in and hold it in. But as soon as you broke the seal, that was it. Yeah. Every time you came back, you were on an extra half pint, which, of course, would mean you had to go more often, which then you wouldn't mean an extra half pint. And so on. Yeah. it was a very, very cruel twist on yeah. a student pub drinking game. Yeah, I've never heard of that one before. And listeners, if you've got any uh, pub drinking games you want to share with us, please do that. Yeah, I've never heard. I've never heard of that one. <laughs> So what's your favourite beer, Ben? If you could have a favourite beer, what would your favourite beer be? Oh, gosh. Um, it's there are, there are so many of them. I'm a massive fan of Punk IPA, which, of course, from BrewDog, which yeah. uh, I think um, everybody knows the BrewDog story now, but I love what they do and the, uh, the, the, the way that they've gone about their business um, has been absolutely fascinating. And the yeah. beer is a really nice beer. It, it's now, mm-hmm. it's a craft ale, but, you know, it's a mass-produced craft ale now, but it still maintains yeah. a really, really nice uh, flavour. But I'm a big fan of of the the whole renaissance of beer in the last sort of 10 years. You know, mm-hmm. when, when I worked in the brewing trade, it was the, the late 90s into the mid-2000s I was working in the brewing trade, and it was all about selling the mass-produced lagers. So it was, yeah. we, we were trying to sell Carling, our rivals were trying to sell Fosters and Carlsberg and Heineken and so on. Yeah, yeah. And it was the bland leading the bland. And, you know, yeah. real ales and so on were seen as woolly jumpers and sandals and things. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. now real ale is like so many drinks, you know, like the, like the renaissance of gin and, and all these other things. Yeah. Um, people are looking for different flavours and beer gives so many possibilities. It's, it's uh, there's, a, there's a beer for every occasion, which is really nice to see and it's interesting i mean one of my favorite beers uh, used to be uh, marston's pedigree yeah and the reason i say that is that uh, i used to work in a factory i was building a factory when i worked in construction opposite the marston's brewery in burton-on-trent and we built this huge factory and in the morning in a frosty morning you used to get like frost particles on your car and if you actually put your finger in it and tasted it <laughs> It tasted of, of the malt because yep. you've got you've got Marmite, you've got the breweries around there and it used to you could, you could smell it in the air. Yep. Uh, and I'm sure it converted me to, to bitters rather than lagers, as well as the local pub, which is in a, another podcast episode. But pedigree now, you know, 
used to be the sort of the quite unique Marston's beer, but now Marston's do so many of those real ale alternatives. Yeah, they've got quite quite a range now, and yeah, they're quite open to letting other real ales into their pubs as well, which they were very exclusive, very closed door to that before. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So yeah, yeah. So any listeners, if you get chance, check out. Check out Marston's, check out Boodog, definitely. Indeed, and, and indeed we do have Burton on Trent in common because, of course, it was Bass that I was working for. I spent yeah. five and a half years actually doing a project down in Bass, yeah. uh, down in, in Burton on Trent, helping them set up a .com. And uh, so, yeah, I know the Marston. Yeah. In fact, we used to go to the Marston's Brewery Tap for a beer from time to time. It's in the pub just yeah. next to the brewery. And, yeah, uh, Burton is a fantastic brewing town. It really is amazing. And there's there's even little places like the Burton Bridge Brewery, which is one of my favourites. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, you need to listen to a prior podcast. I've got a story about that. I've got one of the podcasts, yeah. I, I, I remember, I think I realised my days at Bass were numbered was when I took all the, the high-ups. We were launching our .com, and I decided to take our high-ups to the Burton Bridge Brewery because it was a brilliant pub and it wasn't a bass pub and i realized maybe with hindsight that that might have not been the most sensible thing to do from a political perspective but it was yeah. it, the guy used to go with his little round wooden tray into the back yeah all yeah. straight out the barrels yeah yeah oh um, brilliant place but interesting enough and listeners we're, we're reminiscing about burton on trent if you've never been to burton on trent it is a great brewing town there's no yeah. doubt about it it's got some amazing restaurants which now are uh, thankfully open but yeah i did some i was probably in burton on trent the same time you were uh, Andrew, because one, I did Johnson Controls Factory, which was the Branston end of Burton-on-Trent. Yep. But before that, I worked on the Queen's Hotel in Burton-on-Trent. So you went around a little one-way island before you went up to the town centre. Yep. We renovated the Queen's Hotel, which uh, mm-hmm. uh, was quite an iconic building yes, uh, in, in Burton-on-Trent. So, yeah. yeah. There you go. So there you go, a bit of reminiscing. It's amazing how things <laughs> go around. We were probably even working in the same time. We probably even drunk in the Burton Bridge at the same probably, time as well. Yeah, very probably, very probably. Yeah. So obviously you said you've been, uh, been a coach now for 15 years and congratulations on that because there are very few of us that have been around for any amount of time. You know, uh, myself sort of 11, 12 years now and you know, yourself 15 years. What would you say has been the latest or most significant thing that you've worked on in your own business? Um, I think the most recent thing has been um, as a as a as a, an opportunity really presented with uh, the pandemic. I've got to say, has been doing a huge amount more work on Zoom. Yeah. Um, there's a, a as a result of Zoom now becoming just the way people meet now. Like we are recording yeah. this podcast on Zoom, the uh, opportunity to help more people in more countries um has been amazing and so for the last couple of years i mean i've been working on speaking opportunities and so on uh as a as a way of sharing the message that you know you're 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 kindly inviting me to share today in the podcast but going to speak at conferences where there's a physical event there's a long list of people who are ready and willing and very very able to go and speak at conferences what i found with zoom Mm -hmm is that so many conferences now being online, there's a fantastic capacity for welcoming speakers from around the world, where to be fair to most of the people who've invited me onto their virtual stage, I doubt very much whether they would have paid for my flights and my accommodation and so on for me to come and and speak at their event. But I've had such a lot of opportunity to speak and and share my ways of working and help people and so on all around the world. And I can say, 
I've spoken in virtually every continent in the last 15 yeah. months, sometimes yeah. more than one continent in a day. Uh, right. yes. uh, you know, as a result of a few clicks of the mouse, you can be from Australia to the States and back to the UK yeah. home, home in time for tea. You know, it's it's just been yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I think people are uh, realizing that the value that a coach can bring is in the conversation rather than the medium. Yeah. And it's the difference the conversation makes rather than whether you met somebody face to face. Yeah. And, and I think you're right with the speaking because there's a disconnect in the audience anyway, isn't there? You know, if you're talking to an audience, it's not like you and I talking one-to-one, -one. you're talking to a mass set of people and you know you've got different levels of attention, different levels of capacity to understand. So I think the medium fits really well. I don't know about you, Andrew, but I found quite a few speakers and quite a few presenters that have actually denied doing it online. You know, I've, I've done a huge amount of webinars for the University of Lincoln because people who were set up to do face-to-face -face workshops just wouldn't do it. And they said, no, I'm just, it's not my thing. I don't want to do it. I don't want to get involved in it. And of course, they probably are regretting that now because I think I've done about 20 webinars for the university because one person said, no, mm. I can't do it. So I think, yeah, there's a great opportunity for people to do it. But there's also um, people out there who would normally get paid quite a bit of money that won't do it yeah i i think um you know that one of the fundamental principles of my practice and i think just something we should really accept is that change is happening all the time yeah. um and and gregory bateson who was the anthropologist who was a contributor to the practice i use actually he used to um go and observe uh, native peoples and tribes and around the world and he didn't go in you know the traditional approach back when he was doing the 1950s was to go in with your white lab coat and a clipboard and to set yeah. exercises for the locals and so on and see what they did in kind of laboratory conditions and Gregory Bateson's approach was just to go and be with them and just observe and, and notice what was working for them and yeah. document it and the thing he said uh, that, that became a fundamental principle of the practice I use, which is solution-focused practice, was to notice useful change and amplify it. So find out what's working and do more of it. Mm, and, interesting. you know, notice useful change and amplify it. And even in the depths of a crisis, like we all went through last year, when all of a sudden we were, you know, put into lockdown and it was all, goodness knows what was happening. And yeah. you can still look for the useful change and make the most of it. And so, you know, the likes of being able to meet on Zoom it's actually quite easy if you're looking for it to say, okay, we were going to meet face-to-face. -face. We now can't meet face-to-face. -face. How else can we meet? There's a resource that we can do. Brilliant. Yeah. And we can meet. As opposed to, you know, the, the loss of the, the ideal, you can replace it with the next yeah, best yeah. thing. And it's, it's having that kind of mindset of, okay, things haven't quite gone according to plan, but what have we got that's working? What can we build on? What can we do more of? What strengths have we got? Let's work on them. Let's not worry about the stuff that's gone wrong. Let's not worry about the stuff that's not how, we, how we'd like it to be. Excuse me, there will be some stuff that is. Yeah. Let's look for it and do more of it. Yeah. And all of what you're saying here, I'm sure uh, is potentially covered in some of your content and some of uh, your writings. And I know when we chatted uh, a few weeks ago, you mentioned your book, your URP, and I can see it. You've reminded me of it because it's up there in the corner of the uh, Zoom background. Listeners, you can't see it, but it's it's a good reminder. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about the 
the the source of that book and what kind of difference that book makes to people uh yeah sure so so that book came from uh, a long long journey for me actually so in in bni where, where you and i both network we're trained ivan meisner who founded it all from the very early days has always said be specific tell us what you want and as a coach, we, of course, can help anybody with anything. And there are lots and lots of people like like I used to be when I started my days in BNI, where I was saying things like, well, I can help anybody with anything. So why, why would I restrict myself by being specific? And uh, the, the whole charity thing for me started when a charity joined my chapter, hired me to do a project. I loved the project. I started asking for more charities and all of my colleagues went, oh, well, why didn't you say? Here, I know this charity. Here you go, have an introduction. So I kind of worked it out reluctantly and by accident, which is, you know, my wife will tell you is how I do most things, to be absolutely honest. <laughs> um, and then I found that by bringing that to others and helping them to see that this was a good way of them finding business, yeah. I was getting people saying things like, oh, I never thought of it like that. And I, I was curious about this. So I started working out how it all worked and how, how to put it together. And I realized that in all these conversations where people were saying, oh, I never thought about it like that. I'm one person. How many conversations can I have in my mm. lifetime where if, if I'm thinking about it differently to other people, and it was lots of it, it was like virtually every client meeting, every one-to-one with a BNI colleague or with a supplier yeah. or a client. And so I thought, right, I've got to do something about this. So I started a training course and a book simultaneously. Right. I delivered the training course in BNI because I wanted to help people understand the reasons for being specific and how it worked. And I started writing it up as a book in bits and bats. And, you know, to cut a long story short, it took five and a half years wow. from the first idea that I could run a course and start writing a book to actually finishing the book. And the training course keeps evolving. I'm in a completely different place with the latest, my latest thinking on this and how it all works. Um, but the book itself came from a desire to help as many people as possible to realize that there's a very simple way of making a living through doing something that you love that makes a difference for others. If there's value in that difference, you might get paid for delivering that value. And if you're doing something that you love, you won't need to make as much money as if you're doing something that you don't love where you want to earn a big salary to spend it on things that compensate for the fact that you're not doing something you love. So it's a a different philosophy of of thinking of how you live your life that can turn into either employment or self-employment. And I'm very proud of it. Yeah. And of course, you've got two books out, haven't you? You've got URP, which stands for? It stands for Unique Referral Point. So if I would like to explain how that came about. Well, hold that thought for a second and tell me the title of the second book then. And the the second one is Make Life Simple. Right. Um, So we've got your URP and Make Your Life Simple. That's it. Found on where we're going to find copies of those. Both findable online. So um, Amazon and other online booksellers um, have both books. The What's Your URP is available as a Kindle and also as an Audible. Oh, is it? That's that's my box checked. Fantastic. Well, that's just yep. been released a couple of weeks ago. Um, and make, make Life Simple is print and Kindle. Yeah. And as an author, you're, you don't act under any 
False name, anything like you're just Andrew Gibson. I am Andrew Gibson. If you search for Andrew Gibson on Amazon, you'll, you'll find me. I think there's another author called Andrew Gibson as well, but his books yeah. are very different to the ones I write. So <laughs> okay. um, hopefully, hopefully you'll track me down there. Yeah. So, yeah. So tell, tell us where the URP came from. Well, the, the, the URP came from reimagining the USP and how it works for small businesses. So, mm. um, you, you know, I, I started my career working in big business. I started working with Unilever, then I worked in Bass, with Bass Brewers. Um, Unilever's fame, some of the Unilever's famous brands were soap powders. And soap powder is just a box with white powder in it. Advertising agents back in the early days of advertising realized that the best way to distinguish one box of soap powder from another was to market the difference that the soap powder made after you'd used it. Mm. And that's how we came up with some famous uh, uh, advertising uh, slogans and memory hooks such as washes your whites whiter. Yeah, yeah. I so you saying that now, yeah. Yeah, so if you had grubby collars on your white shirts you bought this soap powder because it would take away the grime from your white shirt collars and um, people of a certain age will probably remember going to school with shirts that had that kind of ingrained layers of grime on the inside of their collars and so on yeah. so and you would have that you'd have a different soap powder for the one that kept your colors from running and things like that and the whole point of it was that the unique selling point was what the product delivered after you'd used it now fast forward a few years and all of a sudden, every single business plan that every small business has been asked to write has a page where you have to identify your unique selling point. Now, none of us have gone on a training course to mm. like advertisers have, had all done to say, well, what is the difference that we make after? Instead, we're looking at the title unique selling point and thinking, OK, and we look inwards and we say, well, there must be something unique about me and my service or my product. And when I've worked that out, I'm going to go and sell it. And that's and that's what we've been taught. And you know, there are people out there teaching us that you know what makes us unique, aren't they? You know, yeah. we're trying to differentiate ourselves by how we do things. And here's the thing: we are human beings. You might well think you've come up with something unique, but I'll guarantee you, I can copy it really, really simply. Mm. And then the second part is, nobody likes being sold to, and very few people like selling. Yeah. So we're wasting a lot of time and effort trying to find something about us that is unique when it's really yep. difficult to be uniquely different from another human being and then trying to find ways of selling it. And the thing is, what I find all the time, and I've asked loads of my clients what the unique selling point is, and they'll talk about their customer service. Yeah. And a, one, one client said to me, for example, oh, well, we go the extra mile. I said, brilliant. How about if I go the extra two miles? How many, mm. how many, how many do you want to go now? Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I see what you mean. So, you know, unique selling points on the basis of customer service, no. Unique selling points on the basis of price, you do not want to be the cheapest in your market because that's a race no. to the bottom and the person with the deepest pockets wins. Yeah. Um, and so the, there's all these things which people have created which are just a lot of time and effort for no real result. And the, the challenge for me is to try and help people to realize that instead of looking inwards to your business, look outwards, look to the customers that you help. Your customers that you help are many and varied but there will be a certain amount of, of a particular type of customer that you really enjoy yeah. helping. You love, you love their sector. You love being with them. You're fascinated by what they do. There's something that connects you to, to, to them and what they do. Yeah. And you probably work with quite a few of them. And I often ask people just to think of somebody they've helped recently that they really enjoyed and, and, and tell me the story of how yeah. they helped them. Yeah. And 
that then helps to realize that actually the it's not about being unique there are lots of coaches out there for example none of us will be unique i can argue till i'm black and blue about my practice and how it compares to somebody else's practice and so on that's an utterly pointless inward focused argument but i can talk about the charities i help and there will be other coaches who help charities but there are also lots of other coaches who help chemical companies or food manufacturing yeah, companies yeah. and so on and they can go and help them i can help charities and you know what if a chemical company comes to me and wants some help i can refer them to the person i know who helps chemical companies because they've got a track record of helping another chemical company yeah so the unique referral point is where you find the customers that you love helping and you help enough of them that they start referring you to people like them when you've got your customers okay. referring you to other customers like them remembering yeah. that they all network with each other charities yeah. all have conference they all know each other yeah chemical companies have conferences they all know each other yeah so on they will start referring you and before you know it you'll be really really busy and if you're helping people you love helping you'll be enjoying what you do you'll be making a difference and all of a sudden business is easy and, yeah, and the yeah. business comes to you and you enjoy it when it does you, you're not yeah. pulled all over the place just chasing the next job right so we can get copies of your us your urp get my teeth into gear and make life simple um we can get that from amazon where else can the listeners connect with you before i ask you to share a tip or a lesson that they can take away and i think you've given them some amazing things right there that they can take away where else can they connect with you um andrew-gibson.com is the website where they'll find out about me you can download the first couple of chapters of the books there as well if you want to have a little okay. sample um yeah and uh you can also book an appointment with me people can book in directly with me through that website if they want and i can spend a time with them in a, in a session where we actually look at how this applies to their own business yeah. and usually i help people find a, a referral generation strategy just in one right. session and I'm very proud of doing that with a lot of people. And that's andrew-gibson.com. Now, I've got to say one thing. I, Because I, my website name has a hyphen in it as well. And I was giving it to someone, I think it was last year, or it might have even been the year before. And, and I'm spelling it out. And I always have to say to people, it's sterling with an E, not with an I. And uh, a hyphen, coaching. And she said, just a second, how are you spelling hyphen? <laughs> <laughs> Dash minus. So yeah. it's yeah. It's the dash in the middle. Yeah. Andrew it's a dash in the middle. So Andrew hyphen Gibson.com. Andrew dash Gibson.com. Yes. But I, I never say dash because then people say, sorry, did you say slash or yeah, you know, is it a forward slash? You know, no, yeah, hyphen. You're absolutely right. So if you could give the the listeners, Andrew, something to take away, a tip or a lesson where they can do something with it. Yeah. Um you know, listeners, you've got to make sure that you take action on what you're going to learn from this podcast as you do with all the other podcasts. And I think we've had some there, some there, some great things about you know, taking something that you, you do well and amplify. I love that. That's that's definitely uh, one of the things I'm taking away. But if you could give people something else, Andrew, what would that be? That would be um, if we think about the thing, as I said earlier, but tell me a story of how you help somebody. Yeah. What, uh, what we're looking for in that story is... It's got to be a story about somebody else where you've made a difference for that somebody else. Okay. So make sure the story is all about the client and not about you. And mm. we've usually we fall into the trap of talking about ourselves and what we did and how we did it. Yeah. 
And and the easiest way I can illustrate that is if you if you imagine you're watching a magician doing the show, and the magician does a trick, and the whole audience goes, "Wow, that was amazing! How did they do that?" What if the magician stopped the show at that point and turned to the audience and went, "Oh, I'm very glad you asked me that. Well, what I do is I set up the mirrors and I set up the lights, and then I get my assistant to climb into the box, and then I get this big saw and I wobble it around so you know it's a real saw. But when I start sawing, you know." By the time they've gone through all the explanation, the audience would be saying, whoa, 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 stop, stop, sorry. We didn't mean it. Can you just do another trick, please? Because we want to go wow again. Yeah. And in, in business, our temptation is to say, I've been a coach for this, this long. I've got these qualifications. I practice here. Yeah. I use this technique. I do this. I do that. I do the other. It's all inward focus. It's all looking at me. And it's not distinguishing us from all the other coaches out there. Yeah. If you tell a story on that hand, if you say, oh, well, I helped a charity to go from this level of income to this level of income over a four-year period and stop there, yeah, I'm giving the audience the chance to go, wow, how did you do that? And if they then ask me how I did it, I can tell the story about the charity and how I helped that charity. And while I'm telling them that story, they'll be thinking of other charities that they know that I might be able to help in a similar way. Yeah. So it's about engaging people. So tell stories that are about the people you want to engage with and the difference you made for them. And if you're talking about what you do, stop. Yeah. And that, that applies to networking conversations, pitches and presentations. And, and it yeah, also yeah. applies to an extent to your website, your social media and so on. If all you're doing is talking about you, that's not engaging. If you're talking about the difference you've made for others, the others you want to engage with will be interested to see if you can help yeah. them in a similar way. And it's interesting what you said there, Andrew, as well, because if you do the wow to a prospect, yeah, and this was a realisation as you were saying it then, and they say, so how do you do that? It's not just to then just spew all over them the technical detail of how you do it. It's to go deeper into the story, isn't it? And, you know, and give them the confidence that you can give them the same. That's what they want, isn't it? It is, and it's impossible to predict how you're going to help your next client if, if you think about it. You can only really tell the story of how you helped your last one yeah. or, or the one that's relevant and similar. Yeah. Because when you go in to talk to your next client, their needs will be different. The circumstances will be different. Um, there will be different challenges, things, different things working. So you can go in with best intentions but if you're going in with you know, a really solid idea that says, well, we're going to do A, B, C, D, E, and the outcome is going to be F, mm, maybe, but it's much easier to just say, well, we did that for these other guys who are just like you, love to help you in a similar way, let's have a chat. Um, yeah. tell, me, yeah, yeah. Tell, me, tell me what you need, tell me the challenges you're facing, tell me the difference yeah. you'd like at the end of- Start asking questions. And yeah. listen to what they say, and then you'll yeah. be able to co-create the next project. And yeah. that's that's how I think it's it's a much more effective way of working for me. Um, it also means you don't get sucked into those terrible situations where you've, you know, you've specced it all out at the start. You've quoted a price on the basis of that. And then you find that you're doing more work for the money and they won't, you know, it's difficult to go back and say, I'm doing more work than we thought because you've quoted yeah. the price. Um, and and it, 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 so it avoids those, those awkward yeah. situations as well. Yeah. So I think listeners, yeah, that's a great tip there that Andrew shared. And I think the the action for you to take away from that is start writing up those stories, start getting those, you know, some people might call them case studies or whatever, but make them more stories, make them more about what you've given to those people. 
so you can share those stories. And I think very few of us um, have those stories ready. You know, I've always got a story to tell. There's always something, you know, I'm definitely a storyteller and you know, I love telling people stories and people love hearing them. So the fact that you've got those stories to hand is really important for you to take away from this podcast. And, and it's also that thing about if you're looking inwards and looking for new stories all the time, it's really, really hard. If you're yes. looking outwards and complimenting people when you see something that's working, if you're complimenting a client or a supplier, if you're, you know, contributing that way to people, yep. then of course, it's easy to keep on finding new material for, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're posting on social media, if you're looking for yep. case studies, looking for content, looking for stories to tell, then look outwards and you'll find them all. Look, yeah. in, look inwards and you'll very quickly run out of material. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. I, I had somebody on a group call not so long ago and they've got a program and they said, I, I just haven't got any stories to share. I said, well, this program, don't they get together every week? Yes, they do. And do they not achieve anything every week? How long has this program been going? Oh, 12 months. So nobody's achieved anything any of those weeks. Well, yeah, of course they have. Every week somebody achieves something. I said, well, they're your stories. They're, they are your weekly stories, aren't they, of how your program helped those people. And, yeah. and the stories change every week. Yeah. Because we're all interacting with different people every week. Yeah, yeah. And if we're, if we're, even if we're working with the same client for a long period of time, well, their world will be changing every week. And, you know, and if you're not sure, by the way, here's another top tip. If you're not sure of the difference that you've made for a client, and this includes if you sold them a product, it doesn't have to be a service business. It's a really nice customer service call to just ring them up and say, look, I just wanted to check in with you. You know that project we did six months ago or, or that product I sold you and so on. Yeah. What difference has it made to you now a little bit of time has passed? Yeah. And just see what they say. And you'll get some feedback, but you'll also get them associating you with that difference that you might have helped them to make. Again, Perfect. nobody's able to say, oh, well, that was 100% down to my intervention or my product. Yeah. But you're associating yourself with that difference. Yeah. And then, of course, you're getting some useful feedback, which you know you can probably use to find more people like that person because loads of people will need that difference. Perfect. Perfect. Great. So thank you very much for, for sharing that, that tip. So just before we go on to the final question of when you're when you have your next dream beer, where is it going to be in the dream location? Uh, because we can go out in the UK. So I'm sorry, those listeners who, as you listen to this, you might be in some form of lockdown. But in the UK, we are easing a little bit now. So we can actually go and have a, a beer inside or outside with friends. Um, but before I do, the website is andrew-gibson.com. And just give us the titles of the books again. And the books are What's Your URP? Yep. And make life simple. Make life simple. Great. And we can get those in Kindle, um, Amazon and Kindle Audible and, for URP as well. That's right. Kindle and paperback for both of them. Amazon or other online booksellers. And, uh, and yes, the Audible version of URP is now available too. Great. So last question then. When is your next beer going to be perhaps? Or what dream location would you have that, that beer in? Oh, well, I, um, I'd say one of the nice things about lockdown um, and Zoom and so on is we're, we're doing an awful lot more socialising from home online. Um, 
And so every Friday afternoon, I actually have a drink with a couple of pals of mine, Rick Armstrong, who's a friend in BNI and also my publisher. He owns Fisher King Publishing and Keith Maidley and Chris Maidley. Um, Chris is the author of an amazing children's book series called The Cones. And Keith is Mr. Yorkshire. He is a fantastic ambassador for Yorkshire. Uh, and Chris's books are amazing. They're, they're a health and safety themed set of children's books. And they're a fabulous set of books. So, so we, we have a beer every Friday afternoon on Zoom. And I'm looking forward to the next one, which will be this Friday afternoon. Um, in terms of dream destination, I have to say that the family one is close for me. My wife's Australian. I'm really looking forward to when we can next get out to see her family. It, yeah. Looking like that's a long way off, but hopefully one day soon, maybe next summer, we'll be able to get out. And, yeah. and Any see particular them. town, city, beach? Um, Western Australia. So her sister and her auntie live in Perth. Um, and her uh, her mum and dad live in a little town called Esperance on the south coast. And I have to say, Esperance is a beautiful spot overlooking the Southern Ocean, a big archipelago uh, called the Recherche Archipelago, which is a hundred something islands in a wow. bay. It's absolutely beautiful. And yeah, I could I could see me there with a uh, a nice a nice uh, bottle of uh, redback beer, watching the sun go down over Esperance Bay. That would be a very nice thing for me to be doing sometime, hopefully next summer. Yeah. So listeners, there you've got it. Um, another place to put on the bucket list of places to go. Thank you very much for your time, Andrew. You've shared so much here. We've learned a lot about you, your books, URP, etc. Uh, but also a little bit, I've, I've written here, Australia to the US to UK and back in time for tea. Yeah. Yeah. Who knew that you and I could do things like that? And of course, listeners, Andrew is a member of BNI and he's done some amazing training on BNI Connect. If anybody listening to this is a member of BNI, go on BNI um, University. I think it's probably under, isn't it? And yep. search Andrew Gibson and find uh, some of your training. And it's great training. I've done a couple of them, so or, or at least one of them. So please you know, check him out as well on that. Uh, thank you very much for giving up your time. I know you've shuffled it around a little bit to help me go and collect some uh, grass <laughs> turf. So I appreciate that. But thank you very much for imparting your knowledge to the listeners. I'm sure we all appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure, Simon. Thank you very, very much for inviting me onto your amazing podcast. And listeners, as, as you know, this is part of my mission to help businesses around the globe become more aware, better educated, which we definitely done today. We haven't talked about coffee, we've talked about water, but we have talked about real ale. So I think that probably compensates for the lack of lack of coffee. And we talked mentioned a couple of breweries as well uh, in the mix as well. So uh, thank you very much for being on this podcast, and I look forward to having you on the next one. Bye for now. <laughs>